Welcome to Impacting Jamaica, a podcast series brought to you by the Port Authority of Jamaica, Herb Cement, and the Sajikwar Foundation. Impacting Jamaica shines the spotlight on the many, but often ignored, positive happenings, activities, projects, and investments at every level, across every sector, to inspire, motivate, and excite people everywhere. Impacting Jamaica is powered by Grace Kennedy. You know, at a time when many hearts seem to have grown cold in Jamaica, there are still quite a few passionate about helping those in dire need. Hello Jamaica, hello world. Thank you for joining me for another Impacting Jamaica podcast. I am Shelley Ann Harris. Today I have the pleasure of speaking with the chairman of the St. Patrick's Foundation, Ms. Herman Metcalf, to learn about the awesome work the foundation is doing to care for and meet the needs of the most vulnerable in society. Stick around, it's quite an uplifting conversation. The mission of the St. Patrick's Foundation is to alleviate human suffering and to empower citizens. Tell us the main ways through which the foundation achieved this noble objective. Thanks for that question, Shelly St. Patrick's Foundation, when Monsignor Albert started it, it was because he saw the poverty and the suffering and the children not going to school and the bad housing conditions that he saw in the inner city. In fact, he was, when he came to Jamaica, it was in 1976, assigned to St. Catherine and he went around and he saw, and it really hurt him to see the children not going to school. So what he did, he started off with education because as far as it was his passion to educate the, the young people, to, to empower the citizens as a whole and to give them a better life. So he started he, a school inside of Riverton mm-hmm. and he also, um, out of that, after that, he, he also established a school in Olympic where we have skills training and in Seaview, where we also have skills training and we serve the people of Riverton, Meadows, Seaview, Gardens, Olympic Gardens, Waterhouse and the environment. We um, ensure that we, we, at least what we're trying to do is to, to give, to, to engender peace and also to give people pride, pride in themselves and to give, because when somebody is able to be independent and earn their own money, they have a skill, you find that things are much better. So they're not as angry, they're not as, they don't feel so hopeless. So the whole idea was to lessen the suffering Mm -hmm. by enabling them to have a job, to earn a decent living, and we give food to the elderly who are unable to work, but we also try to help them as well. And even now, what we did at Christmas, we got some chickens because we tried to get people to help themselves. We got some chicks donated by Jamaica Brothers and we gave it to different people in the community and they grew the chick. We got some feed, so we gave it to them. So we tried to, uh, to, to lessen their suffering by giving them a means of, of helping themselves. 
but our major focus is on education because the youth is our future. And when youth are, um, when they're not gainfully employed, they tend to get themselves into a lot of trouble. And you know, this man, Joe, John Hope Bryant, he said that the most dangerous person in the world is a person without hope. So we give people a skill, we give them hope, we give them a means of helping themselves. Sounds amazing, Herman, all the various things that the foundation is doing to really empower people. Um, and we'll get into some of the other areas, but I do really want to focus on care through the early childhood education and development program that you have. Describe how the foundation provides educational support to those in need. Well, for the children, we have an early childhood education program in Riverton Meadows. And at the center, we have a nursery as well for infants, for very young infants. So mothers can drop off the children and go out to work if they have a job or to do their own housework. The children receive really good quality education and it prepares them for entry into the primary school by the time they are age seven. So in a basic school, the age of the children is about three to seven. And, but we also have the ones from zero the, the, in the nursery. And we have been enrolled in recent times in what they call the Brain Builders Program. That is a program of the Early Childhood Commission. And what the goal is, is to improve the quality of early childhood care education and development. And even the children are included, the babies in the Brain Builders program because they get different um, different things and toys that can help them to learn and to do, you know, learn shapes and, and touch and just to stimulate them mentally. We also have an after-school program. So we have the day school, which is the ones from three to six, who at the end of that time, we enroll them in a primary school. And they, from the primary school, they go into high school, but we, we don't have a primary school. We just have- Right, children. just the early childhood that is what just you focus on. For, for children, for the school. Okay. And at that same center, Riverton, we have an after-school homework center where other students, up to okay. adults, can come and do their work. We have computers and we offer free internet access. Okay. And, we and, have and what's the take up with that? Do you have a lot of adults coming in for the after-school program? We have, yes. We have quite a number of, not that many adults. We're talking about, um, what do you call them now? Young young people like teenagers, early twenties, mm -hmm. people going to university who need a place where they can study in peace because some of the homes where they live in is not conducive to working to studying. So we have them coming in, and so 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 we cater for a wide range. Now that we have COVID, yeah. basically classes is suspended. So we got, in fact, we got some gifts of tablets that we have given out to some of the older children because, you know, children seem to just take on to, to um, technology. Technology, yes, even without older. training. That's right. And even some, without training. That is right. And some of them have even, the, they use their parents' phones, but we mm -hmm. have online training for those. But for the babies 
what we do is to have the workbooks and the teachers actually walk through the communities, drop off the work and pick them up afterwards to mark them. That and is amazing. They walk through the communities to and drop, to off, the, the, and drop off the workbooks. That is not, that's not papers that you're talking about. Yes, because they, the children, the young ones are not able to manage the technology. Right. So the, the teachers give out the work. And then pick it back up? And then pick them back up. You know, those who live nearby in Riverton, the ones who live further, I guess they have to get transportation or the parents come and pick up the work. But they're doing work, you know, I will really feel very edified with what is happening. And that and, shows a lot of commitment on the part of the teachers as well, in terms oh, of yes. going through the communities, walking and making sure that the children, you know, have the resources that they need to really gain and gain their education in a difficult time. Exactly. The teachers are devoted. We have teachers who were there from the inception because the school started somewhere in the 70s. The school was there before and the, the current principal, Junior Row, was operating it. And Monsignor came and, and sort of joined with him and expanded the school. So it's now operated by St. Patrick's Foundation. So we had more some resources to it. And he, I mean, we're talking about 40 years ago and we have teachers who were there almost from that time. But we really have good tenure for the teachers. That's awesome because that kind of continuity gives you so many benefits that you can't even quantify when you have somebody with you from the beginning, you know? And the teachers, you know, we, we make sure that we follow all the regulations. We are on the verge of being certified. Um, all the teachers have their police records because, you know, when you work with young children, you have to have police record and they have food handlers permit because we give meals you know the children when we have day school they come in and they get a breakfast and they also get lunch awesome, awesome. and give lunch well we provide lunch for the teachers because there's not really anywhere for them to go to have lunch and also we have a program at our skills center at seaview in early childhood education and development, and they do their practicum at Riverton. So, uh, so you provide the skills for, train, for teachers as well, or for, for yes. boarding teachers? For boarding teachers. The mm. ones who are in the HART program, the HART Early Childhood Education and Development program, they do their practicum there. Well, we have a little issue now with COVID because you, you can't, the, the interaction is not as it would be, especially with the babies, but um, at least it exists. Right, and there is hope for what may happen in the future. Oh, yes. Once we try to get past this pandemic. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Well, you, you mentioned one of the areas of skills training um, that you offer in terms of the early childhood education. What are some of the other areas that you offer in terms of skills training? We have... At, oh, we have two skills training centers, one at Olympic Gardens and one at Seaview. At Seaview, we have cosmetology, commercial food preparation, and the early childhood development programs. At 
Olympic Gardens, we have electrical installation and furniture manufacturing. So those are the skills training and those children would be about um, 17 because it's a hard program. It's okay. hard level two. The, except for the woodwork. The woodwork program is level one. It's a two year mm -hmm. program, but electrical, commercial, food prep, um, cosmetology, and the early childhood, they're all level two. And they've been doing exceptionally well. I can imagine. I can imagine because once you give someone hope and empowerment, it changes how they approach life and what they think is possible. So I imagine that they're doing well, even during this difficult COVID time. But I, I want you to, to jump ahead now to what you actually also do for your elderly, for abandoned elderly. You were telling me before we start our podcast about the kind of work or the kind of care that you provide for abandoned elderly. Tell us about that. Oh, that happens at our um, St. Catherine Center, St. Monica's Home for Abandoned Elderly and Adults Living with HIV AIDS. That was started by Monsignor Albert in 1981. What had happened, you know, we used to have leprosy in Jamaica long before your time. And as leprosy, leprosy decreased, they, well, the government decided to close the home, the Hansen home, because you know leprosy is called Hansen's disease. We had this Hansen home. They were closing it and the, the residents were supposed to go to the, you know, these centers, the, um, the, the elderly centers, like, like the Ogolan Age home, that type of center. They were supposed to go there, but okay. the people there appealed to Monsignor Albert. There were 12 residents there at the Hanson home and they appealed to him because the families didn't want them and they didn't want to go where they were being sent. And he got the land donated right there at White Mile with a little house. And he had the 12 patients the um, 12 patients from Hanson's home. Well, they gradually died because they were elderly and, you know, they died eventually. And he started taking in abandoned elderly. And when I say abandoned elderly, we're talking about people who have no one, wow. at least nobody that we know to take care of them. Wow. So we have an open referral. So if, for instance, Shelian, you knew some, you knew of a person who lived in squalor or they live on the street and they're just there, you can refer. And once we have the space, we will take the person in. Wow. We, we can accommodate up to 30 men and women. And we have a long waiting list. At one point, we had about over 400 the list was long, but we don't want to overcrowd the place. You'd have had 400 elderly persons who were abandoned, not abandoned who are looking for a space. Yes, on our waiting list. And remember, I mean, we have a lot of need yeah. in, in the country because when you think there are other homes that cater to elderly, like um, missionaries of the poor and we have other places and we have the places like Golden Age Home and those other centers. So you see the need is there. I, my vision, you see, for St. Monica's is that we could partner with an overseas agency and maybe with Jamaica government and expand that St. Monica's home. 
Yes, because but, you have such a massive waiting list. Exactly. So makes sense, yes. Cool, but it takes a lot of money. It takes planning, but it will happen. I am sure it will happen. But you know, to tell you about it, at, at the home, this, the, the residents there, we take care of them. We give them nutritious meals. We give them their medication. We take them to the doctors when they're ill. We try to stimulate them, but with interaction, and we invite people to come in and interact with them. Young, some schools use it for their outreach for their students. And when they die, at the end of their life, we bury them because they have nobody. Right. So it's pretty much that you have created a family for these people. Yes. That's what it sounds like. Exactly. And we take them right to the end. That is right. And we don't, they come in, they can't pay, so we accommodate them free of charge. Boy, Chairman, it sounds like you guys are doing God's work down there. Oh, yes. Um, and so you, you're talking about um, uh, an initiative to care for the abandoned elderly, an initiative to take care of skills training, and an initiative to take care of early childhood education and, and after-school programs and so on. Share with me some of the success stories, something that perhaps has, has warmed your own heart in terms of what you've seen the foundation been able to do. Okay, I'll tell you about a set of children who I didn't mention before at Olympic Gardens where we have the skills training for electrical and woodwork. We have a remedial school. Usually with, before COVID, we could accommodate like about 40 at a time and we had two ships. In fact, one time it was much larger. But, you know, we, we have say 80 to 100 students and before COVID. And those children are the ones who were falling behind in the school system. They had no, they were behind in numeracy and literacy. And as you know, Shellyanne, when students are not keeping up, they tend to have behavioral problems. So they come to us from different schools. Yes. And by the time they are finished and do GNAT, because they come in, they're about like, 13 or so 40 and they do grade nine achievement test we have like over 70 80 percent passes and they go back into the school system and some of you know the difference from when some of them come in and the product because we have guidance counselors and you know they, they see the programs that we have like the outreach for the elderly who come and collect the food packages so they see that and it, it helps. So we have that set and it really is heartwarming. The, the now acting principal at the Olympic where we have those two, the electrical and the remedial, he was a student, you know, he lived in the area. He came there as a student. He joined as a, in the electrical department. Wow. When he graduated with level two, he went and further his studies and he is not came back as a teacher uh -huh. doing his degree his bachelor's degree in in um in education and he's acting as the principal of the school so you know that's full circle that's full circle full circle we have another one a little young girl who went to riverton she in fact, she did so well because we have an excellent training. She did so well. She was the valedictorian 
at our graduation. Then she went on to primary school where she again was valedictorian and she was head girl and she was in junior challenge and she was named youth ambassador. And then she went to high school and she continued to excel. And now she's at the University of Technology doing a degree in accounting. Awesome. Yes, we have another one. He's doing his master's degree in chemistry and he still lives in the area. And good thing is he comes back and helps with the homework program and in, to help us. And he's, he's doing the degree part-time. So he's also working. It, so feels we, like, it feels like your students are also learning the importance of giving back. That's, that's how oh, it sounds to me. Some of our students of cosmetology have gone on to open their own salon. And in fact, what I was told recently is that four students were selected for overseas employment through the Ministry of Labor, four of our, our cosmetology students. The, the new program that we have, that is the, um, the early childhood education and development. We started that now, the first cohort finished. Mm. And we had 100% passes. Is our, I mean, those students were committed and we have an excellent instructor. So everybody passed. It was level two. Boy, Chairman, you're describing, you're describing a lot of good that your foundation is doing. How are you able to afford all of what you do? You, you're talking about taking in the elderly and that they don't pay and you, you <laughs> feed the children and you have all these teachers and all that's going on. How are you funding all of this? You know, most of the funding is from voluntary donations, individuals and some companies. As far as the HART program is concerned, they pay the teachers and they give us a contribution towards our operations like electricity and, and our materials. But it's their program that we are operating for them. They, they pay for all the programs except woodwork. The, the furniture manufacturing, they certify it, but they don't, they don't contribute towards the program at all. That is funded by an overseas a group of people called um, Jamaica Self-Help. They are, they are situated in Canada, but the person who started it is a Jamaican. So we, so we get those donations from, from them, and we have some corporations which give us religiously every month. You know, you don't want to name them because you know you don't want to do that. But yeah, but we do some, and so, we have had grants from to, like we purchase some computers. We got a grant and we purchase computers for our lab. But it's donations mostly. So if persons are listening to this podcast, and no doubt the Saint Patrick's Foundation is impacting Jamaica and they feel like they want to get involved, what, what, in terms of just supporting what you're doing, what, what can they do? How can they reach out? Well, they can get in touch with our head office. They can, first of all, we invite them to look at our website. I think if you just put stpatricksfoundation.org in your browser, you will see it. And you get background about the, the, um, the, the whole foundation, and there is a section telling you ways to donate because we need cash, because operations, you, you hardly ever get funding for operations, you get a funding for programs, but the operations are, we need money for that. So on the website, you can give us 
a check or cash at the head office, all the donations come through the head office. Mm, okay. And so okay. you can, we have a bank account that you can deposit straight into the bank account. You can deposit through the website using your credit card. Okay. And we have, if people are overseas, you, they can donate through what we call our champion page. It's, it's, it's on the Food for the Poor website, but it's on our, when you go into our website, you see the page and you can donate in foreign currency and you will get a tax receipt from Food for the Poor. People who donate to us get a, a receipt from us. You know, we are a registered charity. And so they, if they donate to us, they are eligible for tax concession. So companies yes, yes. who donate to us will get tax concession. And so, so, you know, we have many ways to donate. Chairman, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much for the invitation, Shellyanne. Impacting Jamaica was brought to you by the Port Authority of Jamaica, Harib Cement, and the Sajikor Foundation. If you or anyone you know is involved with projects and activities that excite, motivate, and encourage, send us an email at impactingjamaica at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Do join us again for another in the series on SoundCloud, Google Podcast, Stitcher, or on Deezer. You can also visit us at impactingjamaica.com. Impacting Jamaica is powered by Grace Kennedy.